Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. This week we're going to be talking about God's Word as the authority for our lives. God's Word as the authority for our lives. I don't know what you believed about the Bible when you came in. I hope that you believe that it is the inspired and errant and fallible and sufficient Word of God. Uh, But maybe you came in this morning and you don't believe that. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, In our series, we've been talking about certainty and how people have doubts, uncertainty, and we desire to create an environment here at Connect Church where you feel welcome to ask questions and to share the, the challenges and even the criticisms or the skepticisms you might have about the Christian faith. And so we're so excited to have you this morning. And our goal is that we will all have assurance and certainty in the hope that we have in Christ. Last week, we said that the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the time of other eyewitnesses. It was written on three continents in three different languages by 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years by people of all walks of life and still contains one coherent and consistent narrative And then this last phrase, that's divinely inspired by God. That's the phrase I want to focus on this morning. And so we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to turn in your Bibles. And it says this in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your word that you didn't leave us without your revelation, without giving us an understanding of your will and your plan of redemption. God, allow it to uh, transform our hearts, soften our hearts to be able to learn something for for the building of your kingdom. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the year 64 AD, there was a great fire in Rome. If you're a historian, you know that it was lasted about nine days, destroyed about 10 of the 14 provinces in Rome, it was a devastating fire. And if you know anything about Rome, it's a massive city that controlled most of the Middle East during the first century and beyond and before. But uh, there was a rumor that was going around that Nero had set it on fire himself. Now, this is, we've, we know now this is not exactly true, but the rumor spread and it stuck. And Nero, looking for a scapegoat, he began to blame Christians. After all, they were the people that were serving Jesus and calling him Lord rather than the pagan gods that they worshipped. 
And so the persecution started and he, he charged Christians and he basically made it to where it was illegal to be a Christian in Rome in the first century, in 64 AD. Some Christians were hung upside down, lit on fire, and to serve as a lamp for Nero's courtyard. How terrible. Some of them were fed to lions. Some Christians were uh, crucified as a representation of Jesus' death. A pretty horrible situation happening in Rome, and, and you can only imagine the fear and the anxiety and the worry of Christians in the first century AD and what their fate might be. And this is the context for which Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy is the first letter that Paul writes to Timothy, uh, is before the fire. Uh, the second letter is after. And so in 67 AD, just a few years after, Paul writes a letter to young Timothy. He's a young man at the time. And I can only imagine that he is full of fear. He's just been named the bishop of the church of, at Ephesus. And he's probably, he has a, a status now. He's a target as the, one of the pastors of this church. And, and I, I'm assuming that there was fear that Timothy felt and, and anxiety about his fate. And Paul writes to him to encourage him, to, to tell him, like, keep the faith. He also asked him, hey, if you could come see me in prison before I die, because I'm about to die, that'd be nice. Bring me a couple things that I, could, I need. Uh, that's also what he says. But this is what it says in uh, verse 10 of chapter 3. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who des desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. And then in verse 14, which is what we read just a moment ago, this is where we're going to be looking. Paul tells Timothy, but as for you, continue in, remain in, stay in what you have learned and what you have firmly believed. Do not depart from all the things that you know are true. Knowing from whom you learned it. We know who taught Timothy. In 1 Timothy verse 5, uh, we learn that it's his mother and his grandmother. Paul says this in 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul's telling Timothy, don't walk away because of your fear from the faith that has been instilled within you. Remember the quality of the witness that gave it to you. Remember the person that it invested in you your entire life, since when? Since childhood, verse 15, and how child, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Parents, grandparents, guardians, foster parents, whoever you are, it is vital that we are investing in our young people, in your kids, 
that we, we as a church, we want to partner with you in, in discipling them for the next generation so that in moments of fear and in moments of worry in their life, that they're going to have truth to hold on to, that they're going to have powerful truth that they can cling to. It's, it's why when, we, when you bring your kids here in elementary and preschool, they're, they're not just eating pizza and uh, playing games. They are learning God's word this morning from Nehemiah and his faithfulness and Nehemiah's draw of the people of Jerusalem to serve God faithfully in Jerusalem. We believe that that is so vital and important. And so Paul tells Timothy to, to do not depart from the teaching that has been instilled within you. And then in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, this morning, I want to give you a picture of a theological picture of God's word. I don't know, again, what you believe about the Bible, uh, but I want, I want to increase your appreciation for the Bible this morning. No matter how much you already do, maybe you hold it at the highest regard. I don't think we can fully grasp the power and greatness and majesty of God's word because it comes directly from God is his truth, and we can't understand all of his truth. But God's word is a gift. It's a miraculous gift directly to me and you so that we can know about his plan of redemption. And so I want to give you five statements this morning about God's word. And if so, if you're a note taker, I would love for you to write them down. Uh, and they're all going to be centered around this verse in verse 16. The first one is that God's word is inspired. God's word is inspired. There's a phrase in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. The Greek word there is theopneustos, which just simply means God breathed. It's where we get our term inspiration. And we are, our theology for that is that God, through the Spirit, spoke in both the Old Testament and the New through authors and superintended the writing of Scripture so that we might know the truth of who he is. The ESV uses a more word-for-word -word interpretation, saying that it was breathed out by God. But you might, be, uh, you might have heard of inspired, and, and I hope that whenever you talk to people and you say, I believe in the inspired word of God, I hope, hopefully you do say that. Uh, but I, I want to make sure that you know what it is that you're saying. Inspiration is not referring to like an inspired performance. Like if you were to go to watch a musical at Russellville High School this, this spring, you might say, wow, that individual gave an inspired performance. Uh, it's, it's not that. It's not that the authors of Scripture are, are really great teachers or really, really smart. Um, they are really, really inspiring. No, it's, it's that they were guided by the Holy Spirit. Because if you know anything about the authors... They weren't really philosophers and teachers. They were fishermen and farmers and shepherds. They didn't really sit in an office reading books all the time. They weren't really religiously and philosophically astute. So these people, 
It's not, it's not that they were give an inspired performance. It's also not that the author's concepts and ideas were inspired, but not the actual words of Scripture. This is a claim that is made about inspiration. How can you communicate ideas and concepts without using words? All Scripture... Scripture there refers to the words themselves. God said to Moses, I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. God said to Isaiah, I will put my words in your mouth. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus also said, not even a a jot or um, an, an iota or a dot will pass from the law until it is all accomplished. God's word is inspired. It's the actual words of scripture. Then you might think that God's word was then given directly, like word for word or dictated mechanically so that we might know God and uh, his plan of salvation for us. Uh, God did not dictate the exact words of scripture. Rather, Uh, The authors of scripture had freedom to write as they were. Uh, Luke, he is a physician, and he includes medical terms. Matthew, he's a Levite. He's probably very well versed in the Old Testament. Guess what? He quotes the Old Testament often. Paul writes like Paul. Peter writes like Peter, right? Like all of these people in scripture had the volition and the freedom to be able to write as their style and their theological emphasis and all the things that they were writing, yet they were superintended by the Holy Spirit. We know this from 2 Peter chapter 1. It's the passage that we read last week, verse 19. And we have the prophetic word more firmly, uh, fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place. By the way, uh, if you're in a dark place, God's word, his prophetic word, which is more fully confirmed through Jesus Christ, is like a lamp. It's like a light. It gives you direction. It gives you sight. It reveals the glory of God. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It is not that these men, of scripture, these men that wrote Scripture just decided one day that they were just going to write down what they thought God's plan for the world was. It is not that, but verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. These people were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was particularly re- uh, responsible for the Bible's inspiration. Inspired Moses and Luke and Isaiah and all of these others. And they were able to employ their own personalities, theological perspectives, and writings, styles. God inspired the final product of Scripture. Now we have a term for this. It's called verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal meaning that the inspiration is to the very words of Scripture, not just ideas and concepts. And plenary meaning all Scripture. That it's the Old Testament and the New, all Scripture. We don't get to pick and choose what parts of Scripture that we like and what parts of Scripture apply to the presuppositions we have about the world. No, we take all of Scripture and we exegete the information that God has given us and we apply it to our lives, not the other way around. 
God's word has authority over our life. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So Old Testament, right? At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Basically, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that God spoke more directly to his people in the Old Testament, but then spoke through Jesus in the New Testament. And so all scripture, both old and new, is profitable for us in our lives, all scripture. Now, why do we have to read the Old Testament? A lot of people that I know are, are, don't like the Old Testament because it seems like it's very judgmental and a lot of smiting of peoples and towns and cities that are sinful and a lot of judgment. Seems, it seems like it's, it's a God, it's the, the author of the Old Testament describes a God of wrath. I always find that funny because that person's not read Revelation yet, right? And then the God of the New Testament is this God full of grace and mercy and love. I'm like, have you read the Old Testament and all the times that Israel disobeyed God and yet God showed mercy and love and compassion and grace? God is immutable, which means that God doesn't change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the God that we serve has given us truth so that we can understand who he is, the nature of himself, the character of himself. That's why it says, uh, Paul says that they are sacred writings. That's holy because it's a reflection of the God that wrote it. God is the author of scripture. So when you read the words of scripture, when we read 2 Timothy, we're not just reading from the person Paul. You're reading from God. God is speaking directly to you and teaching you reproving you, correcting you, and trying to train you in righteousness. That's what verse 16 says. God's word is inspired. Number two is that God's word is inerrant. And I'm going to go ahead and couple number three, God's word is infallible. Now, these two words were simply a direct response to claims and skepticisms or criticisms that the Bible was contained errors, and that it was capable of being an error. These terms take a lot of flack in our world today, uh, because as you mentioned, as I talked about last week, right, there have been variants in Scripture, and there have been changes, whether unintentional or intentional. So how can we reconcile the inerrancy of Scripture, yet also claim and, and recognize that there have been changes over time? Well, first, God's inerrancy just simply means without error, without error. And infallibility means that God's word is without the capability of error. Why? Well, if all scripture, verse 16, is God-breathed, then it comes from directly from God. And God cannot lie. God cannot deceive us. God is holy and perfect, Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. 
Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and he will not fulfill it? Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. John 17, 7, the word of God is truth. John 10, 35, and scripture cannot be broken. By necessity, if you believe that God's word is inspired, because that's what Paul says in in this letter to Timothy, if, if God's word is inspired, you must also therefore believe that God's word is inerrant and infallible. To reject inspiration of scripture means that you believe that this Bible was just written by men, it has no divine authority, and so it should not have any effect on the way that we live. But I don't think that's what occurs here. This word of God transforms lives, and it gives hope, and it tells us about this person of Jesus who came and became flesh so that we might have life and have it abundantly, and that's, that's what God's word is. And so just because there are variants and changes does not mean that we are claiming an errancy for the, the transmission process. When we claim inerrancy and infallibility, we, we recognize that we are really claiming that for the autographs, for the original manuscripts in Scripture. And you might wonder, okay, well, then how can I trust that the Bible that I have today is the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God? Well, that was the goal last week, is to show you that the transmission process over 2,000 years was so meticulous and accurate that you can trust that God preserved His Word over 2,000 years so that it is an almost perfect representation of the Word of God that Jesus and Paul and the early church had during this time period. That is, that is what we are claiming. God preserved his word. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. God's word is true, and it will remain true always. I won't go much further into inerrancy and infallibility for the sake of your brain and for uh, maybe even boredom, uh, but uh, the Chicago statement of inerrancy uh, is, is a statement of what inerrancy is and what inerrancy isn't, what it means and what it does not mean. And so if you want clarity about that and you want to walk through it over coffee with me, I'd love to do that with you, uh, but that these people, about a few hundred biblical scholars, they met together in 1977 and 78. They compiled a statement on inerrancy, uh, and, and it was because of all of the skepticisms that people were bringing up about the inerrancy of Scripture and that the word might be misused, and why can't we just use the word like trustworthy or uh, reliable? So I encourage you to go to that. Uh, number four, God's word is sufficient. I'm going to backtrack to verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings, the Holy Scripture, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. In other words, all that you need to know in order to have salvation and to understand how to please God fully is given to us in his word. God's word is sufficient for us to understand who he is and the character and the nature of God. All of God's word is sufficient for us. 
And we don't get to pick and choose which parts of the, of the Bible that we like. We don't get to ignore some parts because they don't align with our political agendas and interests or our preferences, but rather the totality of Scripture we accept and we affirm for the sake of God as authority. We are a Free Will Baptist church, and so the Free Will Baptist treatise says this about the Scriptures. These are the Old and New Testaments. They are written by holy men, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and revealed and are God's revealed word to man. They are sufficient and infallible rule and guide to salvation and all Christian worship and service. Since the Bible is the word of God, it is without error in all matters upon which it speaks, whether history, geography, matters relating to science, or any other subject. So God's word, all four of those words are affirmed by the Free Will Baptist Treatise and are drawn from the passages of scripture that we read this morning. But yet, Many of us are at a point where you're, prob- you're probably not need, you don't need the convincing of God's word as inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative, or uh, sorry, uh, sufficient. You probably don't need to be convinced that you can trust the Bible. You just, you just trust the Bible, right? But for a lot of us, we don't believe in allowing it to transform our lives and transform the way that we live. We don't allow it to be authoritative in our life. And so the premise I want to give you is that because God's word is inspired, because it is inerrant, because it is infallible and sufficient for us, it's also clear and necessary. I left those out this morning. That means that it is authoritative for our life. In other words, it doesn't matter what our preferences and what our opinions are. His word matters a whole lot more than our own. Because why? Because God is the author of scripture. God is the author of the story, the story of reality that we are a part of, the story of God's truth. And we don't get to dictate what it is about God's word we accept or reject. All of it is profitable for us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Bible, the very words of scripture, teaches us truth. God has given us truth, how to live. It gives us, uh, it's a blueprint, right? If you were building uh, a building, you would want a blueprint. Because it's a guide. It tells you how. It tells you what materials to use. It tells you the resources. It tells you all the things that you need for building a house. That's what God's word is for our life. God has given us his word so that we can have a blueprint for how to live according to his design. It's for reproof. This is... Have you ever been in church and, and, the, and uh, when you read God's word, or maybe you're just at home in your devotion time, you read God's word and it's just stepping on your toes a little bit? It's just slapping you across the face a little bit? That's what reproof is. That God's word will stop you where you are and show you clearly what it is that you're doing wrong. 
And then it's good for correction. It corrects you. It turns you around. It shows you the right way, right? This is the way that you should live. Jesus says, do this, right? Do that. Follow my commandments. God's word corrects. And finally, it trains us in righteousness. Teach, stop, correct, train. Teach, stop, correct, train. It's the constant cycle in our lives. As we are reading God's word and and, and understanding, why? So that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And it is out of our faith that obedience comes. Sometimes we lack faith. Sometimes we have questions and doubts about the Christian faith and moments of fear and worry. Maybe you're, we're like Timothy or Paul in the first century, and, and it just seems like we just, we just need God to, to give us hope, to give us freedom from the, the worry and the anxiety that we have. And I would, I would propose to you that the answers you're looking for are found in God's word, the authoritative word. So the fifth Fifth phrase is that God's word is authoritative. Why is it authoritative? Because the author of it is God, the authority of our lives and all of his creation. If you were to go uh, to read a book about science, you wouldn't ask someone that plays in the NBA to write that book, and you wouldn't want to read that book about it because that person has no knowledge of it, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't change your mind about anything because they have no authority, right? They have no expertise. So for us, if the author of God's word is God, right? He's created everything. He's given us life. He wants to give it to you abundantly. Then God's word should be an authority over our life. I remember being a teenager and thinking that God, uh, my parents were trying to ruin my life, put all these rules, these regulations, got to be in bed by this time. No watching TV after you go to bed. Make sure you're back by dark. Back in the day, it was really not that long ago. I'm only 28. Uh, we, we would just go and run around in the neighborhood, and as long as we were back by dark, we were good. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that I would let my kid do that today. Uh, but all of these rules and boundaries about how we should live, and I used to think my mom is trying to make my life boring and is trying to make my life just as horrible as she can make it. Because I was immature, and I didn't understand why my mom was giving me all these rules. It was because she wanted what was best for me. It was because she wanted, she understood that the, the rules that she was putting into place, while I might not like them, at the end of the day, was going to provide me with the best situation for me to be able to fulfill, uh, prosper, and to uh, have a great life. It's immature to think that God in his word, sometimes I used to think that God's word was full of all these rules and all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's like you can't have fun. Can I tell you something this morning that my life has been transformed by Jesus Christ and I have the most joy and fulfillment in my life that I've ever had? that my life has been transformed because I have given my life and surrendered to the authority of God. 
And that authority has been communicated to us through his word so that we can follow and we can live according to his design. Sometimes we look at the things in scripture, uh, some different laws or rules. Maybe it's about sexuality. Maybe it's about pride, self-esteem. Maybe it's about marriage. Maybe it's about anything related to things that we have preference over sometimes. And we just act like, you know, it's okay. I mean, I know, I know God's word says, like I know the Bible says I shouldn't do it, but at the end of the day, like it's okay. I don't know that that's our place. We come to church every Sunday. We want to be encouraged. We want to uh, be f- filled up. And then we go back to the same way of living throughout the week. And we act like there was nothing that happened on Sunday morning when we read God's word and it was changed. Maybe on uh, Monday morning we get in our devotion and then throughout the rest of the day we just forget about, we don't apply God's word to our life. So for a whole week, we just live our lives how we want to live them. But God's word is written by God. And he has given us the blueprint for life to follow his story because he is the author. So for us, we don't get to make the rules. A lot of us like the idea of Jesus and the kingdom of heaven, but we don't want to surrender to the king. We want to go to church on Sunday, feel good about ourselves, get encouraged, and go back to doing the same old stuff we were doing the previous, the prior week. It's a byproduct of our immaturity in faith. In other words, we want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. We want the benefits of the glory and majesty of the kingdom and all of the things that come with it, but we don't want to bow our knee to Jesus. And I think that that is a dangerous place. I think that a lot of people in our culture, especially in a secular culture, has rejected scripture. And divorce rates are high, and, and suicide rates are high, and there's, there's a rise in mental health issues. There is a significant problem in the breakdown of the family. It's because we've chosen that we, we want to reject the blueprint for life, and we want to live according to our own devices, and we want to be in command of our world. We want the authority to rule our own kingdom and judge for ourselves. People are trying to live according to the way they please, but God's word has the power to transform if you will bow your knee to it. It's able to give you faith. It's able to give you salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so I don't know what you believe about God's word. I don't know what your position is. I hold it in high regard. I wish I held it in higher regard because I want to know the, the author. I want to know the power and the majesty of the king of glory that has given us his word, his plan of redemption, so that we might have life. So when I think about Timothy... In the first century AD, I think about his fear and his worry and the doubt that he might have, all the the challenges to the faith that he might have had. He was probably uh, often feeling the feeling of just giving up. He often felt like, you know, it's probably 
just better for me just to reject it and then I can just go about my life, do my own thing. But I'm, I'm, church, I want to leave you this morning with the words that Paul told Timothy. And it's, it's words that I think that when you are in a, a, a place where you have anxiety and you have doubts about the Christian faith, that you, you desire after a relationship with the Lord, you want true and real faith, that you would do this. That, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for uh, your grace, your mercy. Uh, and God, we, we often want to live life the way that we want to live it. We often want to make up our own rules, live a, the way that we want to. But God, you've given, us, uh, you've given us the way that we're supposed to live according to your design, and it's in your word. And it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's infallible, it's sufficient, it's clear, it's necessary. And God, my prayer for, for our church this morning is that we would have the understanding that you have spoken to us, that you have given us revelation and to understand the immensity and the gravity of that circumstance. That is an amazing thing, God. And, and I pray that this church will draw near to it, that they will allow it to not only inform them, to not only teach them, to correct, train, but it would transform their life because that's what you've done for us, that when we accept Christ, we are a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And God, I just pray for, for every person in this room that they would desire and pursue after you. And that if they have doubts, if they have challenges that they're facing in their faith, that they wouldn't draw to other books and resources or even answers that the world has to offer, but they would understand that the peace and comfort, that, that the the love and the grace and the mercy that they seek is in your word. And it tells us about the person of Jesus who died on a cross for us so that we could have life, so that we could be reconciled from our, away from our sin and to accept you uh, as Lord and Savior of our life so that we can spend forever with you. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.